Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Guy Rambo. Guy is an iOS developer at Pesci Urbano, as well as the creator of the WWDC app for macOS. Welcome to the show, Guy. Hey, Garrick. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. How's it going? I'm fine. It's hot, but the AC is taking care of it. <laughs> right on. So it's hot. Uh, where are you? Are you in Brazil? I wasn't sure, actually. I didn't. I don't know if I asked you that. Are you in Brazil? Yeah, I'm in Brazil, and it's 95 degrees now. Nice. I've never been to Brazil. You should come. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, it's beautiful. I heard. I heard it's really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's pretty warm outside today, too. I'm in Los Angeles, and I think it's a sunny day. I haven't been outside yet. Um, but yeah, it's nice to live in, in sunny areas, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love it. So you are an iOS developer at Pesci Urbano. What is that exactly? Well, Pesci Urbano, uh, they are a, an e-commerce website, but they focus on local deals. So they have partners, restaurants, uh, that kind of stuff. And people use the app to buy coupons, so they get discounts at those local places in their cities. So it's not an e-commerce site where you purchase an iPhone and they ship it to you. It's not that sort of, of site. Okay, so you're basically shopping for like coupons, and then you, yeah. as, a, as a user, you can get those coupons, and you can go to the physical stores and um, take advantage of the coupons. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. And so you're working on the iOS app. Uh, how many other iOS developers are there? Is it just you or are there a couple more? It's me and one more. So just two people. Cool. So you're kind of maybe like the lead developer or like it's sort of just you two. So you guys are both maybe like the lead developers. Yeah, we don't have like the, that concept of a leader. We have the product person and they sort of uh, think about the roadmap roadmap for the app and think about features and where we should be heading. But we both have the same level within the company. And then in terms of technical um, decisions, you and the other developer, you guys are sort of charged with making all the technical decisions. Like, should we use storyboards versus doing everything programmatic or, you know, reactive versus, you know, I don't know, using just delegation or something like that. You guys make those decisions. Those are up to you. Yeah, yeah. We, we both have autonomy and we basically debate every decision between, between both of us and we come up with what we think is the best decision. Can you tell us a little bit about what, you've, what you guys have decided on? How old is the app? Uh, one year, two years? The app, I, I'm not really sure, but it's pretty old because there's some code in there which doesn't even use auto layout yet and uh, there's some stuff from iOS 6 so it's pretty old and we are slowly but surely rewriting it in Swift not like we didn't start a new project and started to rewrite the app 
but we we are slowly when we add new features we write them in swift and the app now is like 50% objective c and 50% swift that's cool that's similar to what we're doing at farmers we started doing a rewrite but now we've taken over the legacy code which is swift it's funny to say like legacy swift code but it was like the first swift you know when it like right when it came out uh and and uh, also sort of the way it was it was programmed it was i don't know almost like objective c um but swift um and so we're refactoring uh and so that sounds like you came into the project uh after it had already been worked on for a little while right you didn't start the project you came in while it was already like you know going while there was yeah. already a code base yeah, both of us really. My colleague is there since last year, I think, since the middle of 2016. And I joined uh, this January, so I've been there just uh, over a month. And Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on the new position. Thank you. And so neither of us really know all of the code base from the start. And we have to deal with decisions that were made way back then. I can imagine that being very difficult. Uh, we're lucky in the sense that uh, we have a developer that's been with the project for uh, for longer. Maybe not since the beginning, but he has a lot more experience with the existing code base than we do. And so we have him as a resource to answer questions about, you know, certain things. I'm sure we could figure it out on our own, but it's great to be able to just go to him and be like, hey, how does this thing work? Because um, <laughs> we're having to do that a lot. How are you guys balancing, um, like, refactoring um, versus, like, adding new features? Are you mostly shipping new features? Do you do, like, chore Fridays and you do refactoring on Fridays? Or how do you guys balance that? Yeah, it's funny. We we actually started doing uh, like a Friday crash hunting and uh, refactoring. So we sort of use Fridays to take a look at old code and refactor it. Nice. But uh, we have to keep the, the app moving forward. We are right. currently rewriting, completely rewriting the checkout experience. And oh, cool. as, as you imagine with... Uh, millions of users the checkout is kind of important right so we we are rewriting it in swift and we are using uh, we are testing everything and we plan on using rx so fun oh project. nice i imagine a checkout flow uh, is a good candidate for the pres uh, presentation coordinator pattern are you familiar with that pattern yeah we are actually using it for this new checkout. All right, yeah, I've been playing around with a little bit in some personal projects. I want to, I uh, want to use it um, when it makes sense. Um, you know, when you have like a really long flow, uh, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad to hear you guys are doing that. All right, well, I want to get into everything else that you're, you know, you're working on all your open source projects as well. But before we do, I want to learn about, you know where you come from and how you got to where you are. So can you take us back to your earliest memory of programming? Yeah, let me think. It was uh, early 2000s. I think it was actually the year 2000. My parents bought our first computer and it was a Pentium 
four, I think. It ran Windows ME and it, it crashed every five minutes. So, <laughs> uh, and then I don't remember when it started, but I, I wanted to create things using the computers, but I'm, I never really had this artistic thing to me. I never really drawn or anything. So, and my, my school at the time, they started to offer uh, computer courses. And there was one course which was for programming. So I started learning DOS. I oh. made scripts for DOS. Uh, wow. Do you, do you know DOS? Uh, only a little bit. I know it's like, it was green. Yeah. And I, my brother played like some kind of game, like a flying game. And uh, that's pretty much all I remember. And I, we had a, a printer that had like the holes on the paper on the side. That's all I really remember from MS-DOS. Yeah, so my school offered that and I, I took it and I, I learned to write batch scripts in DOS. Made little like calculators, very simple games, questions and answers, that sort of stuff. And after that, I started a course on Delphi. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delphi. Shout out to Nathan, my um, my coworker. He uh, worked on Delphi for a while. Awesome, and it was really cool. You could just drag objects, make your windows, and hook them up, kind of like interface builder nowadays. And so I did that Delphi course, made some little experiments for myself. I remember my dad, he, he has lots of CDs and he already had lots of, lots of CDs at that time. And I made a little program like a database so he could catalog his CDs. Wow. It was really fun. I was like 12 or 13 at the time. You wrote that in Delphi? Yeah. Cool. So you basically were, he was able to like input the name of the CD and like the contents of the CD or something of the date. Yeah. And he, he actually wanted to be able to register where physically the CD was located because he had in his so collection? many. Yeah. He like had, in his library? <laughs> exactly. He, he oh, has wow. so many CDs. He needed a software to see where the CD was located so he can come up and pick it up. And Were they like uh, music CDs? Yeah, yeah. He, oh, so he had a big music collection. Yeah, he, he works on radio, so he kind of needs cool. that. That's cool. So, so that was what's it. His and what's his DJ name? Uh, he doesn't really have a DJ name. <laughs> Everyone, DJ Rambo. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, everybody call, calls him Rambo and like myself. So, uh, after the Delphi experience, I started making websites and started to sell little websites to little business and started making a little bit of money. I basically f freelance from my... 16s up to like when I was 
18 or so. Nice. And just like getting local clients and things like that. Yeah, yeah, little shops. Uh, the, the That's great. Little, little small businesses and stuff. So, do you remember why your parents got that computer, the Pentium? I'm not sure. I, I think they kind of thought it would be good for us for school to do the homework and stuff. I think it, it was basically for us, me and do my you brother. Remember, and you said you thought to yourself, I want to make programs for the computer. Uh, do you remember why you, you thought that, like how you had that idea? I think it came from liking to tinker with stuff like yeah that was the basic drive and do you remember how you felt like when you f were first able to make um you said you you made some like calculator programs with ms dos do you remember like how you felt like what was that initial feeling yeah it was awesome can you describe it like what uh what was so awesome about it it's a, a feeling of uh, accomplishment, like you, you can do stuff that other normal people can't do. Oh wow! Almost yeah. like a like a power. Yeah, like a superpower. Superpower. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we are. We are like super superheroes using our power for good to create amazing things in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you started making websites for the you know local businesses around your community, and then what happened? And then I don't remember the timeline exactly, but uh, I remember being tired of making websites because the web, uh, I don't know, it's not, I don't like the web as a platform to program, I, I don't like JavaScript and HTML and CSS. Uh, I, I think I grew tired of uh, fixing bugs in Internet Explorer because when I was making websites, people were still using IE6 at the time. So it was uh, a pain. You, you made the, the website and it worked perfectly in Firefox and then you opened the website on Internet Explorer and it blew up completely. And you, <laughs> you would spend like two weeks just fixing IE bugs. <laughs> so I, I grew tired of, of making websites. And to this day, when I have to deal with HTML and JavaScript, I, I still cringe a little. So you're, you're sort of getting a little frustrated or you're not enjoying web development as much. And what happens? Yeah, at the same time, I was tired of Windows because Windows is not very nice. Uh, I heard it's, it's better these days, but at the time, it, it was Windows XP, I guess, and I never really liked Windows. And I don't remember when I first came to know the Mac as a, an, an option. So I think it was in... 2008 that I got my first Mac. It was a MacBook White, little 13-inch, oh, nice. really beautiful. Did you ever have an iPod or an mm, iPhone before then? No, no. I Oh, wow. I went straight to the Mac. Wow, wow, interesting. Yeah. So, so you got uh, the white one. 
Yeah, and, and also uh, at the time I was still making websites, even though I started to get tired of it. But I I noticed that most like famous developers used Mac, so I thought, well, maybe if they like it, I like it. So let's give it a try. So then you get the Mac and what you set out to, I mean, the iPhone's out at the time. Maybe the there's an SDK for the iPhone. Um, what did you just start making Mac apps? Did you just start, did you continue making websites, but with a Mac, what did you do? Yeah, uh, I didn't pay much attention to the iPhone. The thing is uh, here, uh, this, these things are really expensive. Macs and, and every Apple product here is really, really expensive. And uh, I didn't have a, a smartphone at the time. Nobody had smartphones at the time. And uh, so I basically didn't pay much attention to the iPhone. I liked it. I thought it was nice, but I never th thought I would buy one or have one. So, and, and I, I started to tinker with the, the Mac and started making little simple apps for myself, learned Objective-C at the time and really liked it. And that's how I got started. What was the first Mac app you made? I don't remember. Uh, I really don't. I, maybe it was like a simple text editor or something basic like that. And that, that was with Objective-C, right? Yeah, yeah. And with uh, manual memory management. There was no arc at the time. Was it pretty difficult to learn? How did you go from web uh, web development to doing Mac development? Was it difficult? Yeah, it was really hard, especially with Objective-C, because when you learn Objective-C, you have to learn C as well. And oh. uh, I didn't really understand memory management, and I struggled with it a lot. Uh, it took me like... A good year or so to get like a good knowledge of memory management, and then I, I I could forget it because they introduced Arc. So during this whole time, were you studying uh, computers in school? Uh, I think at the time I was finishing high school, and I never had the drive to go to college. I never really wanted to go to college. Uh, I'm sort of a self-learning person. I don't like... Yeah, like me. Yeah, I, I don't like to be taught. I like to study by myself on my own pace and following my own rules. So I decided I wouldn't, wouldn't go to college and... As you can imagine, my mom was really happy with that decision. <laughs> but uh, she told me that if I could make a living without going to college, that was fine. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine, uh, you know, parents being really um, nervous about their child not going to college. Um, yeah. But I think all we can, if we believe... In ourselves and the, we believe in the decisions that we're making and that we feel that they are the right decision all we can really say 
is, you know, trust us. And if you have, if you have the respect and trust of your parents, you know, maybe they'll trust you. And hopefully it turns out to be a good decision. In your case, it sounds like it was a good decision. You, you're still doing what you, I assume what you love, um, and you're working as an iOS developer. So it seems like it worked out for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the time I already sort of knew that uh, this uh, computer technology jobs, they didn't really require college degrees. At least here, most of them, if you are a good developer and you know what you're doing uh, and you have like open source projects, you contribute, you participate in the community. They don't really care that much about college. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what it seems like to me. I mean, it, they'll still post it in the job posting like, oh, you know, computer science preferred or experience, like equal experience. So, yeah. Uh, so when did you get into iOS development? It was shortly after the Mac, but... It took a while because I didn't really have an iPhone. I think I got my first iPhone in 2012 or 2013. It, okay, uh, so like around, was that like iPhone 4? Yeah, but I, I got an iPhone 3G, I think. Okay. I, I basically, uh, in my entire life, I never had the latest iPhone. Uh, I used to, I, that used to be like me. I So I had the original iPhone um, and then I had the iPhone 3G because my brother gave it to me. Then I had the iPhone 3GS because my brother gave it to me. Then I had the iPhone 4, you know, because my brother gave it to me. But like once, um, once you could start like kind of like leasing, uh, like once I got a phone from T-Mobile, and like they made it super easy to get the newest phone. Then like ever since then, I've been getting the newest phone. Is it is it still pretty expensive and difficult to get like the newest iPhone in Brazil? Yeah, it's really expensive. But uh, fortunately, now I can afford it. But still, now I have an iPhone SE. And it's technically the latest, you can say, because it, they didn't release this form factor again after it. But... Uh, it's definitely not the the top one, but I, I like the form factor of the the five S and the SC. So, do you remember the first uh, iOS app you made? Yeah, it was after the little experiments and stuff. I made an app for package tracking. Oh, for, cool! Yeah, for the our postal service they have oh, a, wow. a, a website but the website is like any government website it doesn't work very well so uh, i basically wrote up a quick server in php and it scrapes the the website with the tracking information and displays it nicely in an ios app and this app is out there still it's still selling you know, that just, um, you know, kind of made me think of something like scraping. I always hear about that. I wonder if we could build like a little like website scraper in Swift. I wonder if that'd be possible. I think so. Uh, basically, if you have uh, well-formatted HTML, you can parse it as XML and you can use like 
XPath and CSS rules to find the nodes, that's definitely doable. And so what would it be? It would just be a little server or could it be just a program running on your on your computer, like a command line? And it just like it just, let's say, uses like curl. It goes and like goes to a website and then like basically pulls all the HTML or something and then it parses the HTML. Yeah, it could be. Uh, also, if, if you if you are running on the Mac or iOS, you can use WebKit. You can basically load the, web, the website without displaying it. You just don't add the web view to the screen, and you use JavaScript to fetch the information from the DOM. Interesting. Oh wow! So that's another application. Um, I mean, I guess it's technically sort of. A sub application. It's essentially either a Mac app or a command line, or I guess you could have it be a server, like running on a server. But like, it's kind of an interesting specific application because I hear about that a lot, like scraping websites. I wonder if anyone's done that in Swift yet. I think so. I, I think there are even some libraries for that. It's a pretty common necessity. So, where were you working before you started at Pesci? I was working by myself, basically, as an indie developer, making awesome. some iOS apps and uh, some macOS apps. Cool. All right, so I want to get into talking about um, all the Mac apps you've made. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about Swift um, specifically. So you have you've uh, had some Objective-C experience. Um, when Swift was announced in June 2014, can you do you remember uh, when Swift was announced? Can you take us back to that moment for you and and what was going on in your head when you heard that it was announced? Yeah, I was shocked, really shocked. I <laughs> I didn't like the the news at the time because I I don't know it's uh, like uh, I I really love Objective C, still love it, but. You never know. They, when they announced Swift, I really got really worried. Like, oh my God, I will not be able to learn it, and I will not <laughs> be able to make macOS apps anymore. Basically, was wow, a little <laughs> a little shocking. But shortly after, like a week later, after playing with it for a while, I figured it was not a big. De- In fact, it was a big deal, but for the good, not for the bad. So did you start learning it immediately or did you uh, wait a little while? Oh yeah, I jumped in like a week later, started playing around with playgrounds, but they crashed a lot uh, on the first beta. So, but I, I still used playgrounds and uh, shortly after I wrote the WWDC app. It was, oh wow. It was basically the project I invented for myself so I would learn Swift in a real project. So what does, okay, so let's let's talk about the WWDC app. So for those that don't know, uh, there is a WWDC app for iOS that Apple releases and uh, it includes like the, there's a map and so for those that don't know, also WWDC, Worldwide Developers Conference, happens every year. Apple's conference for, for all their developers. Okay, so 
the app includes like a map, uh, the schedule, and all the videos uh, from previous years. And so, um, Guy, you created WWDC app for macOS, which um, mostly it includes the videos, right, from previous, um, all the past videos, right? Yeah, the current um, it, the current version th- is doesn't do like the schedule and all that stuff, does it? Or actually, it does the schedule, but uh, since the the schedule was kind of uh, glued in afterwards, so it displays the schedule in the same list as the videos and. As the sessions are released as videos, they turn into videos in the app, so it's a little confusing. But I'm actually working on a brand new version of the app, and it's going to be more like the iOS app. It's going to have a separate section for the schedule, and it's going to have the news and a separate section for the videos. But the current version, uh, it focuses on videos. And so how does it, like, where does it get the content? Does it just go to the web, like where you can view the videos? And then when you press play on a video, it's just like streaming that video or downloading it because there's also download links. Is that what it's doing? Actually, the the basic functiona- functionality of the app is pretty simple because I just use the same API that Apple uses for their iOS app. It's a it's just a set of JSON files that they have on their servers. It's not even dynamic, like they're just JSON files sitting there and the app just downloads the JSON and parses it, and turns it into models and stores them in a database. And to uh, to actually play the video, I use AV Foundation and it's also really simple you just pass the url of the streaming and it does everything for you and so those json files like it's just up there on the internet anyone can can see those like does apple is apple are they like could they potentially be mad or something about that or like is it is it open or are you accessing something that's sort of secret or is it just out there for anybody to to get at it's not really secret. Uh, I think they could get mad, <laughs> uh, but it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, so when you are reversing an app, you can basically run a proxy on your Mac and you tell your iPhone to connect to that proxy. And you can basically watch every HTTP call your iPhone is making. So that's how I figured out what the WWDC app for iOS was doing. And Wow, is that like Charles Proxy or something? Yeah, exactly. At, at the time, I used Burp. Burp is a Java thing. It's basically like Charles, but not as pretty. And I used it, and that's how I reversed the protocol so why did you need to look at the iOS app traffic as opposed to just going to the developer uh, video website and seeing like where those videos were coming from? Actually, when I first reversed the app, the website for the videos, it was not like it is today because today it basically just uses the same API as the iOS app. So I, I could have 
looked at the JavaScript on their website and see the URLs for the JSON there. But at the, the time I reversed the app, the first time their website was just static. You, you accessed it and the stuff was already there. There was no Ajax calls I could look at. So that's why I had to actually use the iOS app. Okay. That's cool. That's really cool. I, I love, I think it's so cool when people put something out. It's almost kind of obvious that um, like once it's out there, but before that, you know, you know, no one's thought of it yet, but it's like this taking something that is already out there, like this resource of information and organizing it in a different way or in a new medium. For instance, like the um, Hirundo or Hirundo app for Mac, which allows you to uh, easily follow uh, some or all of the Swift um, open source mailing lists. And uh, and so and your app too, like you're taking information that's already on the web, but you're putting it into another format. And, you know, so you're doing a couple things like you, you have an idea. And now you have a project that you get to work on and learn from it and put something out there. But then you're also creating something useful. It's really cool. Yeah, I love that. And when I made the app, I, like I said, I was doing it to basically get to grips with Swift. And if you look at the code, uh, of course, it's been through like two or three Swift version transitions. So a lot of the original code is not there anymore, but you can see like the architecture is not very good. It uh, there's a lot of like writing Objective-C in Swift kind of stuff in there because when I wrote it, I didn't understand Swift well enough. So I used the old patterns with the new language. So, and when I made it, I didn't expect it to gather as much attention as it's got. So how did you go about uh, learning Swift then. So you said you, I mean, you already knew Objective-C, you use this project as a sort of catalyst, uh, you know, the reason to kind of learn and the, to push yourself forward. What were some of the, like the other main resources that you used to learn Swift? I remember I read the book by Apple. So since I already knew Objective-C, lots of the patterns were already there so I, I kind of knew what protocols were even though they are much more powerful in Swift but I knew the basic concept and I used the Apple documentation basically and d du during the project I of course used Stack Overflow a lot when I had some roadblocks. Do you remember what was the most difficult? I think the worst part was that uh, when I started the project, AppKit, they didn't really, they hadn't uh, really nailed the APIs for AppKit, which is the UI framework for the Mac. They put a lot more effort into UIKit, so it worked well with, with Swift. 
and AppKit was not so ready yet, and so I struggled with some AppKit stuff. Some APIs didn't work from Swift yet, like you, you couldn't use some of the stuff from Swift. And, and that's why if you look at the, the repo, there, there's a lot of Objective-C there. Uh, mostly stuff that I at, at the time I couldn't write in Swift. So you mentioned AppKit, so that's like UIKit, but for Mac OS, right? Yeah. Can you tell us um, a little bit about some of the main differences? Like I heard that uh, rather than you know working with uh, what is it, view controllers or views, you're working with Windows, or or is that in addition to you're working with multiple windows? Yeah, since uh, Mavericks, or no, it was Yosemite, so since OS 10.10.10, it got a lot more closer to UIKit because you can use view controllers. There's a class named NS view controller. A lot of the stuff in AppKit, you just take the UIKit thing and you replace UI by NS. And mm. <laughs> that's the name of the class, but of course it works differently. Differently, but the architecture is similar. We have view controllers, but we also have window controllers because, of course, on the Mac you can have lots of windows from the same app at, in, on the screen at the same time. So we have this different object, which is the window controller, which we use to control windows, of course. So configure, configuring windows, configuring the view controller hierarchy within the window because you can have uh, a window can be composed of multiple view controllers so you have to kind of coordinate those different view controllers together and also there's there's no like touch right so instead of touch it's what is it is it clicking right clicking mouse pointer what's like the input on you know on ios we there's like touches began and, and uh, you know, touch up inside and all this touch related stuff. Well, funny enough, you actually have touches on macOS because of the trackpad. So when you are writing a custom view for some reason and you need to know which fingers the person has on the trackpad and where they are and the relation between them, you, you have touches. So, if, but it it's not present on every Mac because not every Mac has a trackpad. Uh, most of them have the, the MacBooks all have trackpads, and you can work with multi-touch on on the Mac using the trackpad. And other than that, you have NS events, which are similar to UI events. So clicks and mouse over, mouse out, mouse move those sort of sorts of things and then it seems like on the mac you also have sort of more control over the system i mean there's other things for instance like the menu uh, the menu bar and uh like there's some apps that i know of um like where it can like you can like one app can close another app or the app can restart the computer like it seems like you have more control yeah, on, on macOS, you have a lot more freedom. 
especially if if you don't want to distribute your app on the Mac App Store. If you distribute your app on the Mac App Store, you have to sandbox it, and that works kind of similar to iOS. You have a lot less freedom to what your app can do. But even if your app is sandbox, you can, for instance, you can know the list of apps that are running on on the Mac. You can have uh, you can have your app be notified every time the active app changes. That that kind of stuff, which you don't have on iOS, you can capture the entire screen of even if the user is not using your app at the moment. So that's wow. a lot of stuff you can do on the Mac that you probably never be able to do on iOS. What is the like the menu bar? Is that it's just NS menu bar item or something? Yeah, sort of. Uh, the menu bar it has two different things about it. There's the main menu, which is the the menu that shows up at the left side, like, like file, edit. file, yeah, exactly. So that's uh, NS menu. The the class is NS menu, and every app has a main menu. I think it's a property on uh, NS application, which is equivalent to UI application. But you you rarely deal with uh, menus directly. You uh, at least the apps I worked on and the apps I've seen out there, they all set up their menus on Interface Builder because that stuff is hard to do on code. It's very repetitive and tedious. Interesting. Okay. And then the other part of the menu is the like the menu bar? Yeah, the, the, those the icons. Or something? Those icons at the right side, they are called, uh, I think they are technically called menu bar extras so menu bar. Okay. there's a private api for that and there's a public api for that the private api is the one apple uses to for the clock and the battery siri and it's just a bundle in a special place on the system which the menu bar process loads and puts the icon there but for apps we have a public api and it's called uh, NS status item. So you can ask the system to give you an NS status item. And it basically gives you a little square on the menu bar. And you can do whatever you want on that little square. It belongs to you. You can do wow. any drawing you want on that square. Wow. So you created um, another app. Uh, called Apple Events, and you said that that is a menu bar item. No, actually, a status, podcast status. Podcast. Oh, sorry, menu. the podcast yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, I use Overcast, and I listen to lots of podcasts. So, and I am one of those weird people. Uh, at least I heard it's weird that I can actually program and listen to podcasts at the same time i don't know yeah yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> i can't do that i don't i don't think i can yeah it, it depends on the podcast like if it's a uh, like the atp episode with chris latner that one i stopped everything i was doing to listen to so <laughs> right, i wanted right. to to absolutely hear every single word so i focused but usually i and I listen to some podcasts that are not tech related. So if it's, 
really hard programming podcasts, yeah, it gets complicated to program and listen to them at the same time. But so uh, I I like to have my headphones plugged to my Mac so I can like open a YouTube video and continue working or and I got tired of switching between my iPhone and my Mac and Overcast has a website. I don't know if you ever used it. Uh, the um, Overcast app for Mac? The Overcast, uh, y- do you use Overcast on, on your iPhone? I, I, uh, I've used it some. I like yeah. the podcast app, the stock one, but I've used Overcast a little bit. Yeah. So basically, Overcast is, is just an iOS app. They don't have a, an, a Mac app. But uh, you can go to your Safari and go to overcast.fm and log in with your credentials. And you can use Overcast on your web browser. So what I did was basically just take the website and put it in a little web view and throw it on the menu bar. And I added some cool stuff like you can use your media keys on your keyboard to pause the podcast and go forward 30 seconds and go back. So that's, that's because if you're using the website and someone calls you or someone's at the door, then you have to go and fish for the website and find it and find the pause button and pause it. So it's a lot easier to press the play button on the keyboard. So... Did you, does Marco know that you made that and did he say anything? I think he does, but he never addressed it directly. So is the website like mobile friendly? And so when you, I mean, I'm assuming when you click on the menu bar, like are you actually showing the full website like in a menu bar? And, and you have a web view embedded in the menu bar. That's interesting. And it, I mean, I don't know much about Mac development, but that seems like you can just do anything on the Mac. Like you can have a, a web view in a in a menu bar. That's like crazy. Yeah, I, I've actually done a, a little experiment once. Uh, you know the notification center on the Mac at the yeah. right. I made a little extension which you could play trailers for movies right on notification center. Nice. So it was the little movie player thingy right at the notification center so yeah on the mac you have a lot of freedom and uh, overcast's website is it's uh, it's responsive so it fits basically any screen size and it worked well with the the small web view window that i have and i think i inject a little css on the website just to like fix one or two little things but that's basically it um, Apple has a trailers app. You could like reverse engineer the trailers app and then just like use all their trailers data for your little notification center trailers widget. Yeah, that's actually what I've done. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, and then you also have the Apple Events app. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, that's uh, basically the Apple Events app for tvOS, but ported to the Mac. So. Same thing as with the WWDC app. I just uh, installed a proxy on my Apple TV and looked at the HTTP traffic and 
reversed it. It's funny because the Apple Events app on the Apple TV, it actually, it's not uh, JSON that they use. They actually use JavaScript. Uh, the the app itself is not native. It uses that uh, weird... TVML? Uh, yeah, yeah, TVML. And the data comes as JavaScript. So on my Mac app, I actually use JavaScript core to evaluate the JavaScript and gather the data from it. Wow. And so these apps, like how do people download them? Do they download them on your website or do they have to download them using like a Git um, or can you get them on the App Store? You can go to my GitHub and you can download the latest releases for each one of them there. And all of them have automatic updates using Sparkle. So once you have the latest version installed, they will self-update. Okay, so I'll so I go to your GitHub and then what do I clone clone the repo for each one? You don't actually have to clone the repo. You can Oh I see there, click here uh, to download the latest release. Yeah, there are links to download. And then you're saying that it will automatically up, update, uh, update. Yeah, yeah. The it uses Sparkle. Basically, every app you have on your Mac that's not from Apple uses Sparkle for updates, except the uh, Mac App Store apps, of course. But like any app, like Sketch, those guys they all use a little framework called Sparkle to update. You know when you yeah, get the window. Yeah, you get the little window. There's an update, and you choose to install it. Oh, that's cool. So, I also, you know, a little bit about how Guy and I met. Uh, Guy just emailed me, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I like the podcast. You know, I I make uh, Mac apps. I take iOS apps and turn them into Mac apps. And I think it'd be cool to have some more talk about Mac, um, you know, and Mac development on the podcast." And uh, I totally agreed, and, and here he is, uh, because you know, this is not the iOS podcast, it's the Swift Coders podcast, and so what are all the things that we can do with the Swift programming language? And, you know, Guy, you're not only making Mac apps, it seems like you're doing some really cool, kind of interesting things. I mean, I don't, I guess it's it's all in Swift, but like you're, you're like, you said you were like getting some JSON and like loading using JSON, well, no, sorry, JavaScript core and like loading the javascript whatever something so it sounds like you're doing some interesting things that aren't necessarily like just kind of mac os development related they're sort of like i don't know this cool little swift trickery stuff you're doing yeah i i love to do like little crazy experiments the latest one i i've been working on is a little app to inject code into other apps so you can basically customize apps that you haven't made yourself and even though the core is written in C and Objective-C the UI is all written in Swift and that's not out yet but I plan on finishing it and posting it on my GitHub. Wait, so is that something like... Um... There's a company called Rollout.io, and they say you can like fix bugs without like shipping to the App Store. Like, and somehow I'm not sure, but you 
you like inject code like over the server, you know, over the network. Is that sort of what you're talking about or? Not really. In, in that case, they are talking about you think, taking your apps and using like uh, external coding to basically update your app over the air so you don't have to go through Apple's uh, permission and stuff. But what I'm doing is I have, let's say, preview the preview app and there's I really wanted to have a little button at the toolbar that let me make like some crazy effect so uh, what this app that I'm making enables is I can write a little bundle of code that this app of mine will make sure is injected into the preview process to customize it Wow. Is that, that sounds like, uh, like, are you allowed to do that? That seems pretty cool. Like, are you allowed to do that? Well, actually, you are allowed, but the latest version of macOS, Sierra, they introduced, I think it was in El Capitan, in fact, they introduced the system integrity protection. So, if you want to do that with Preview or Safari or Xcode or Terminal, any Mac app from Apple, you actually have to disable SIP and I don't recommend anyone doing it. So just a little disclaimer here, <laughs> but you, you can do it to other third-party apps. So let's say like, I don't know, Slack or something. I use the Slack app. I I think I downloaded it from the Mac App Store. Actually, no, maybe I didn't. Or like Sketch, let's say. Mm -hmm. And you want to add a button to Sketch so that you you just click that button, it automatically exports it like in a certain way, the way you like it. Let's say all your assets or something like that. Yeah, you actually that. actually Sketch has a, a plugin interface, so you wouldn't need something like this, but yeah, theoretically. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. How are you doing that? Like, how did you figure that out? It's actually, uh, I'm not doing much of the work because there's already a library. I think it's called Mac Inject. It's, I think that's the name. So it's already an open source library, but uh, I, I basically, I'm basically making an interface to make it easier to people for people to create these bundles of code and tell the this little app to always inject this bundle into preview and this bundle into Xcode and so and so. You know, I just um, remembered an idea I had and I feel like you could probably answer it since you have some like web experience. Like, uh, okay, so everybody has a web browser, right? So pretty much every computer, like whether it's an iPhone or a Samsung phone or a Chromebook or a Windows or a Mac, right? Everybody has like Safari or Chrome or Firefox, right? Everyone has a web browser. Yeah. So like, would it be possible to make a website that all that the website does is it translates like an iOS app or a Mac app or something, let's say, into what a web browser understands? Do you think that would be possible? Like, I'm trying to wonder if there's a way to, like, write 
an iOS app or a Mac app and then like have it be readable in a web browser. Like rather than having to learn how to do web development, like if I wanted to make a website, you know, I just like somehow you make this one website that understands like AppKit or UIKit and it translates it into what a web browser understands. It could be done, but it would be an immense amount of work. I probably think. not worth it then. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. But um, I like it. Nice idea. <laughs> right on. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of like iOS versus Mac OS development? Uh, what are your thoughts like on maybe <clears throat> like people will start to get more interested in Mac development or is, you know, is Mac development sort of kind of dead or is there sort of only, I don't know, what are your thoughts on like on that? Because well, obviously like everyone's really into iOS, right? Because like everyone has an iPhone. Yeah. Part, or a lot of people have an iPhone. Part of the reason I wanted to to come to the show was to like try and win some people to the Mac. Like, hey, come here. It's nice. Make make Mac apps because it's I, the wild wild west. Yeah, it's awesome. You can do anything. So basically, <laughs> I think we we are we. I mean, we as tech people. I don't know the tech companies. We are a little lazy. So a lot of uh, great apps for for iOS, for instance, they don't have a Mac counterpart where we, they would really benefit from having one. Uh, and people usually just throw a website and say, hey, on the Mac, use this website. But a website is never as good as, as a native application. I, I would really love to have like a Netflix app for Mac. Uh, yeah. The Apple News app for Mac. Um, like Instapaper. YouTube. All of those. I, I would love to have them on the Mac. And unfortunately, the companies are not really thinking about it. Could we make a Netflix Mac app? Because I, th I thought like Netflix is sort of open. Like you can make Netflix apps, can't you? I, I thought think, I saw something like that. Yeah, I think I think so. I never looked into it. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll make a Netflix <laughs> app. I, I don't know. Because I've seen like all these other apps that are like Netflix related where uh, maybe they're just browsing. Like maybe you can't actually play anything, but yeah. you can like browse, you can like save like for to watch it later or something like that. Yeah, I think playing things would be a little tougher because they have all of the DRM stuff. So that would complicate the things a little bit. But uh, maybe, 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 maybe we can have a Netflix for Mac made by a third party. So what are what would be something you're you would tell somebody who's considering, you know, making a Mac app? Let's say they're they've done some iOS programming and they're thinking about what to do next. Um, and maybe they have an idea for a Mac app. Maybe they also have an idea for an iOS app. What would you say to them? There's actually a nice YouTube channel. It's called Apple Programming. Uh, I don't know when it started, but the guy teaches Cocoa development. Uh, I think 
it's still in Objective C. Most of the videos are still in Objective C. But he actually teaches macOS development using Object C, and I think it's he started to use Swift more recently. So that's a good learning resource. Apple's documentation is nice. It's not perfect, of course, but you can learn a ton just by reading the manuals. And they have a lot of guides. They have guides for macOS programming on the developer website. There are tons of WWDC sessions. I heard there's a cool app you can use to watch them. You <laughs> can get the, the app and search for, for OS X and macOS. Actually, reading the code for other macOS apps, there are lots of open source Mac apps. I have a few of them. You can study, like, Podcast Menu is a really simple app, so it would be a good starting point. The WWDC app is a lot more complex, so I wouldn't recommend it for a beginner to study. But reading other code bases can teach you a lot, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I always forget that there's a lot of great uh, example code on online on GitHub. So um, that yeah, that's always a really great way to, to learn. Just go ahead and on GitHub, look at some open source projects and see how other people are doing. It's really great advice. And okay, if, sorry, if, go ahead. Sorry, if you are a iOS developer, it's not that hard. Uh, I think mm -hmm. people have a, uh, a fear of macOS. They heard it's really hard. And yeah, there are some things that are harder, uh, especially like uh, customization. If you want to make like a really cool button that's all different, that's a little harder to do on the Mac than on iOS. But if you want to make simple apps like you probably have on iOS, it's not that much harder. If you already know iOS very well, you are probably going to have a good time learning macOS. And you're probably going to get surprised by how much stuff you can do that you can't on iOS. So we've come to the end. Uh, before we close, I wanted to... Uh, some rapid fire and I really like in this new segment. Um, so uh, starting at the top, uh, Guy, what drives you? I think uh, what drives me is the need to always be creating new stuff. I love to make yeah. stuff that people will enjoy using. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, desktop or laptop? Laptop. Nice. Uh, standing desk or sitting desk? Sitting. Nice. Uh, Git from the command line or from the GUI? Command line all the way. <laughs> all right. Vim or Emacs? That's a hard question. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Vim. Oh, cool, cool. Do you use both? Sometimes? Not really. I, I don't even use Vim. Uh, on my Mac, I actually changed uh, like the, the Git editor to be TextMate because oh, I, cool. I still use TextMate. So I avoid Vim and Emacs uh, okay, as so much as I can. Anytime like a default editor is needed, it'll automatically open TextMate. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Um, testing or no testing? Testing. All right. Um, we already kind of talked about your Twitter bio. Um, what's browser freedom? 
browser freedom is, you know how on iOS you have that concept of universal links? You click on... Uh, yeah, like yeah. universal deep links. Like you click on it, either takes you to a website or it takes you to um, like an app. Yeah, you, you, can, you can use browser freedom to do that. But the, the basic need it solves is for people who use multiple web browsers. Like let's say you... Like TriCast, for instance, we are using to record this episode. You have to open it on Chrome. And right. let's say you use Safari as your default web browser. Right, so, which I do. Yeah, and when, when you click on a link to open TriCast, it will open on Safari. Uh, it does, yes. Yeah. Yep. So with browser freedom, you can basically create a rule and you say, when I click on a link to TriCast, always open it on Chrome. And so oh. when you are in mail or something, you click on a TriCast link, it will automatically just open Chrome. Wow. That's really cool, man. You made that? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's really okay. useful. I have tons of rules. And uh, Chib Chibi Studio? Yeah, app? Chibi Studio. Uh, I, I don't know if you are familiar with anime the japanese culture stuff yeah yeah, yeah. so chibi is a, a japanese word for little so there's kind of a, a culture of drawing little cute characters and yeah. when apple announced uh, iMessage apps i talked to a friend of mine and he loves this japanese stuff and he's a really good illustrator and we had this idea to, uh, of an app where people would be able to create their own their own cute characters on iMessage, and they can even do it collaboratively with their friends. So I send you an unfinished chibi, and you send it back with more stuff added, like a different hair or different clothing. So, so like the ice cream example. Yeah, basically, basically. That's cool. So wow. But of course, there's a lot more you can do. You can use yeah, right. There are uh, thousands of items, and of course, Different we we sell of combinations. Yeah, we sell oh. some packs. So, all right, really cool. That's great, man. Yeah, you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, how do you find the time? Well, I think it's it's my job. I, I work with it every day but it's also my passion and it's hard to i don't find any enjoyment in like sitting in the couch and watching tv for instance which i know a lot of people do but i basically don't spend any time doing that sort of stuff and it, it leaves more time to programming which is what i really like yeah Okay, and uh, your Twitter profile picture looks like you're sitting in a really comfortable chair. Yeah, unfortunately, that chair is kind of broken now, so I, I no. I'll have to replace it. But it's a nice chair, and people say I look like I'm 13 on that picture, but it I actually took it last year, so I'm actually 24 in that picture. You look very serious. Yeah, I am a serious person. 
Nice. Just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's good. No, that's good. Maybe you are. That's great. Um, Dub Dub DC moves to San Jose. Are you? Uh, have you ever been to Dub Dub? Are you thinking about coming? No, never. Maybe I don't plan on going this year unless the company pays for it. Maybe they will. I don't know. Let's see. But if I don't go this year, I maybe I'll plan on going next year. Yeah, I've never been, and yeah. uh, I'd like to go one day. Maybe if uh, my company pays for me to go, that'd be cool. Because yeah, it's pretty expensive. San Jose is is less expensive than San Francisco, so that helps. All right. Well, Guy, thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, sharing your story. Before we go, last two um, bits of information. Uh, where can people contact you online? They can contact me on Twitter. It's underline inside my Twitter handle. So it starts with an underline, which is weird, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. I'd say just make stuff. I think you learn a lot from actually banging your head on the keyboard and trying different things and and seeing everything blow up and having to fix it. So I think the best advice is go go out there and make stuff. I think that's great advice. Uh, what if someone is that type of person that can learn best when they're building something specific? However, they, uh, they're in need of an idea or they don't have an idea to, to work on, what would you say to someone to either get inspired or to, to find an idea? Well, if you're, just, uh, if you're just looking for a project to learn, you can always just copy something that already exists. It's obvious, obviously not as fun as creating something new, but it will help you learn. But if you need inspiration, just go outside, take a walk, talk to your friends, see if they need something that they don't have. And you always come up with the craziest ideas. Yeah, all great, all great advice. Um, especially, yeah, just copying something. I mean, why not? Uh, you know, you'll learn from it. It exists. It's right there. So you don't have to think of every little detail. Um, yeah, that's actually really good advice. And then, yeah, walking, going for a walk, it's always good to get some inspiration and talking to your friends and getting inspired is always, always helps. All right, Guy, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us, you know, getting that Pentium computer and writing your first programs in MS-DOS and then Delphi, then doing web development and then, you know, kind of getting over web development and moving into um, you know, Mac uh, development when you got your first Mac with the white Mac. That's so cool. And then uh, finally, you know, getting an iPhone and getting into iOS development. And, uh, you know, now just, you know, you're building really, really cool stuff with Swift in interesting ways. And it's uh, sounds like most of it's open source. Um, so yeah, thank you for reaching out to me, for wanting to uh, be on the show, and uh, for putting your hard work out there as an example for other people to look at. Thanks for having me. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. 
If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.